Oh, I got a bit of an echo somehow. Do I not? Is that just me or? I'm getting old, so I can't tell. Just sounds kind of ringing. Do I look different to you? I'm a grandfather again. I mean, think of it. My daughter has a tendency to give baby names that are longer than the babies. So this little guy is Ethan, David, Taylor, Seepersad. Could you imagine that? Unbelievable. And I still have a ring. Are we fixing it? There we go. So we're in this new series called Transformation. I'm honored to, to kick it off here. And so here's kind of what we're doing. Uh, today in the 10, 15, both services this morning, I'm here talking about what's your job. And Pastor Joe's over at the Lighthouse talking about what the job of a pastor is. And next week, I'll go to the Lighthouse and talk to the people there about what their job is. And Pastor Joe's going to come here and talk to you about the job of a pastor is. So if you decide to change churches, you're going to hear the same message again. So it's really important to stay here. That would be really good. Uh, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about what's your job. Uh, the truth of the matter is, folks, that that all of us, many of us, from time to time, get a little tired and weary. Right? Yes. Am I the only one who ever gets tired? Oh, good. Okay. Anybody here work too hard? Oh, really? Anybody here have trouble sleeping for some reason or another? Oh, well, I'm in a good company. Anybody have extra stress right now? Anybody just tired and you almost wish you were sleeping? Yeah, and I'm the preacher, and I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's just part of life. As a matter of fact, I think that the desire for rest is common among all of us. So I made a list of things. I love lists, so please forgive me for another list. But I believe the traveler longs for the rest of home. The weary long for the rest of sleep. The troubled long for the rest of peace. The pained long for the rest of relief. The bereaved long for the rest of memory. The uncertain long for the rest of direction. The poor long for the rest of sufficiency. The wronged long for the rest of justice. The skeptic longs for the rest of simple faith. The lonely long for the rest of companionship. The frail long for the rest of strength. The tempted long for the rest of release. The overworked long for the rest of leisure. The ill long for the rest of health. The stressed long for the rest of ease. And the dying long for the rest of eternity. Do any of you fit in there? I think we all do at some place. It appears, appears that weariness and the longing for rest is part of all of our lives. I actually read a cartoon once, and we're not using PowerPoint today, so I actually read a cartoon once that said this, God has given me a certain number of things to do. Right now I am so far behind I will never die. (laughs) Anybody ever feel that way? Even spiritually. So I am glad that there's provision for rest in in the Word of God and in God's purposes and plans for our lives. Hebrews chapters 4, verse 1 to 8, talk about the kind of rest that we can have. We can actually have freedom from the weariness of life. As a matter of fact, that's why he gives us day and night. He gives us night so we can actually sleep and we have rest. But more than that, there's a provision in God for his children that he's prepared to step into our lives and touch our lives and bring us the calmness that comes from knowing God as our personal friend. And when that happens, we have his life in us and we actually find a no peace. We actually know joy. No joy that can only come from him. What a great privilege. Isn't it not amazing to be a Christian? Isn't that amazing to have God in us, helping us live life better? 
I mean, it's an amazing thing to be a believer. But I want to talk to you today about something different. The title is, So What's Your Job? I want to talk about a different view of rest that I find in the same chapter of Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 4, and in verse 9 to 11, it says these words. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Let's pray for a moment. Father, bless your word today and may it speak to our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 10 says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Now, it's interesting to me when I think about that, what was God's rest? What did it look like? Our Bible says that God created the, set, that created the world and on the, more than that, all of the universe, and on the seventh day, he rested. God entered into rest. Now, you know and I know that the, ama- the creation of God's an amazing thing, isn't it? Is it not amazing? Pardon? The creation of God is an amazing thing. Are you not startled by a starry night? We just came through the fall with beautiful leaves. And, and look around you for just a moment. Just look at the people around you. God's shining star of creation is sitting with you today. We are the only part of God's creation made in His image. What a creation it is. But here's the amazing part of God's rest. Even though he did all this creation, he comes to the seventh day and he rested, the Sabbath rest. While God is at rest, he is not ceasing from activity. While he's resting, he still works. This is the same God who steps into a creation. He guides it. He provides for it. He holds his creation in his hand, the Bible says. What an amazing thing that in his rest, God still works. Listen, he is no watchmaker God, folks. He didn't make the world, the universe, like a watch that just walks away and leaves it on his own. I have a really nice watch my wife gave me. It's a Movado. It's about a $500 watch, some birthday. I'm not sure it was cheaper then, but still, it's so nice I'm afraid to wear it. I'm afraid of losing it. And so this is a $10 watch that I have no idea who made it. I can barely change the numbers. I had quite a time when we changed the clock recently. All I know is this. When this watch goes done, I'm not fixing it. I'll just buy another one. They're $10. God is not like somebody who just makes a watch and all. No, God, God's involved in his creation. Listen, he's an amazing God who still, while he's at rest, works. Listen, at rest. This is the God who walks in a garden, divides the Red Sea, saves a city, heals a son, provides unending oil and meal in a famine, delivers his children, saves a baby on a Nile, heals a leper, manifests himself in a cloud of fire, and gives his word to his people. This is the same God that calls a persecutor, frees a jailer, raises a friend from the dead, builds his church, and sends his son into the world to be its savior. Well, God is at rest. He's still working. The rest of God, folks, listen, it's not about stopping. It's about finishing. It's not about ending. It's about continuing the journey. It's not about cessation. It's about completion. And God's picture here is that he's going to complete that which he has started. The basic job was completely done. But in his rest, he continues to work. It's amazing. And by the way, just in passing, exactly the same thing is true of Jesus. Jesus did exactly the same thing. Jesus provides redemption. 
Jesus comes, he's born of a virgin, comes the incarnate Christ, the Son of God becomes the Son of Man. He lives his life, he teaches the kingdom, he raises disciples, and at the end of his life he is crucified, he sacrifices his life so that you and I could have an access to God, and he gives his life as a ransom for us so we can be redeemed, so we can be children of God. And he's hanging on that cross, he says, tetelestai, a Greek word that means it is finished. The plan of God is completely done. Never, ever, ever again will there ever have to be another sacrifice so that people can get to God. It's all done. It's completed. And the truth of the matter is if you're here today and you don't know him, it's available to you. It's an amazing thing that God has provided for us access to God through his son. And when he declares it's finished, however, it doesn't mean he stops work. He still saves. Aren't you glad of that? I've only been here 11 months, folks, or, well, not quite 11, and this is the 11th month. But one of the things I love about this church is the number of people who make a decision for Jesus through this church, who come into a personal relationship with him. Aren't you glad that he still saves? If he didn't still save, guess what? You wouldn't be in the kingdom. Because it was 2,000 years ago that the sacrifice was made. But Jesus, in his resting, in his tetelestai, in it being finished, still works. Now, I want you to see what it says. It says in verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's the same kind of rest that God knows. The Sabbath rest for us means this. We no longer have to strive to be with God. We already are. We've come into this living relationship through Jesus. We've been made the children of God. And in a wonderful sense, at that moment, the work is done. In a wonderful sense, at that moment, we, we are complete. The re- God will be with us the rest of our lives. If we serve him, he promises us eternity. The work is absolutely done. But like the father and like the son, it doesn't mean we can sit around and do nothing. In God's provision for us, he doesn't call us to just sit back and wait to die, to go to heaven, to be with Jesus. He calls us to work. It's the same kind of finishing that he has in mind for us as he had in mind for himself and for the Son. In our journey, it's not about doing nothing. It's not about ending. It's about completing. It's not about cessation. It's about completion. I'm so glad that this is true. It means that we actually get to work in our rest. We are in him, but we get to work in our rest. Can I be honest with you? I I always try to be that anyway. I don't know why I say that. One of the little things that we pick up as we go along. One of the things I love about this church is I love working with our pastor. We are blessed to have Pastor Smith as our pastor. I can tell you that. I've been in a lot of churches over the years, and I find him just wonderful to work with. But some of the things I love about him are these. He is absolutely at rest in what God has called him to do here. He is absolutely at rest. He's at peace he knows that this is God's plan, this is God's provision for you and for him, and this is, there's a peace about that. But what I also love is he knows that this is not the end of the journey, it's only the beginning. Because I do love the peace in his heart, but I love the discontent in his heart. I see a discontent all the time on behalf of you. He wants you to mature in God. He wants you to grow in God. He wants you to have opportunity to serve. He wants you to to just get to that place where your life's soul is filled with God, that you actually live lives of value and significance, and you're transformed. That's why we have this series called Transformation. This comes right out of his heart for you. 
But I also know he'll not be content unless we touch a city. We live in the city of Montreal, folks. There's a lot of lost people here. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later. Is that not true? And I'm so glad that he cares about a city and he cares about what happens to people outside of us. And then I love that we're part of a church. We're celebrating 98 years. Could you imagine? It is a long history, folks. Listen, the last renovation, that's why we're at the forum, because the last renovation in our church was done in 1952. Do you understand how long ago that is? We have 98 years of history, but the last renovation was 1952. How many of you were not even yet born in 1952? Let me see your hands. Most of you. (laughs) The rest of us are just old. That's all that that means. The church has had great leadership. It has a reputation, folks. It has a reputation for caring about the city. It has a reputation for being missions-minded. It's a reputation for building the body of believers. Here's what it doesn't have. It hasn't got a reason to rest on its 98 years. That's why we're doing renovations, so we can do a better job of the kingdom. This church has a mission, folks. The mission isn't completed yet. This church is a job. So one of the reasons why we're looking at having some regional parties this fall, I hope that you'll attend them. The first week of December, you want to mark it in your calendar. We're going to have parties north, south, east, west, and central. We hope that you'll come because in those regional parties, we're going to talk about how can we enlarge the kingdom value in our city? How can we touch a city better than we do it now? How can we grow personally in our own lives better than we do now? So it's not just tied just to a Sunday morning service. We hope you'll come. We think it'll help change your life and our lives and the church and even even our city. What's true of the pastor and true of the church is also true of us. It's not about doing nothing, folks. It's about working. It's not about cessation. It's about completion. It's not about finishing. It's about keeping at the job. My mom, uh, my mom died at uh, 90 years of age, but uh, she was raised in poor country and just not a lot of education. And so in her culture, she was pretty normal. But she actually graduated from school and finished school at grade 8. That was all the education she had. But she had a good mind, and she was determined one day that she got thinking about it. She said, you know, I'd like to complete my high school education. So in her late 50s, I honor her for this, in her late 50s, she actually went back to school and started her high school education and completed her high school education, Got it, graduated, grade 12. Of all the courses she took, the course she liked the best was English. And in English, the thing she liked the best, she discovered she really liked writing poetry. Now, I have to be honest with you. Robert Frost is my favorite poet, and here's what he said. If you write enough, eventually you'll write something good. And I have to tell you that a lot of her poetry was not very good. And because she was a Christian, no matter what she talked about, she could talk about frost or doors or anything. It always came back to Jesus. And I love that about her, but it did ruin a little bit of the poetry because it took something that was so ordinary and made it spiritual in a way that didn't even fit. Here's what I do know. It cost me some hundreds of dollars to get her published once in a few poems in this book and some compendium or whatever it is of poetry. She wasn't satisfied with that. So at 80 years of age, I love this about her, at 80 years of age, she actually collected all the poems she'd written up to that moment, and she self-published a book of poetry at 80 years of age. And she took that book of poetry, and she took it, she, listen, she had printed 200 copies, and she took 20 copies to 10 friends and said, these are $10 each, sell them. <laughs> and they did. 
She sold all 200 copies. So she went and printed 200 more. I love that. I love that. And so then she, then, then she took them to other friends and said, these are now $12 each. Sell them. And they did. And before she was done, she actually sold 1,000 copies of a self-published book, which is amazing when you think of it. And so as a result of that, she got a national television. She was on CBC, and she got invited to read poetry, and she wrote it all the time. So as a result of that, when she was 82, she published a second book of poetry all by herself, and I sold about 400 copies of that, I think. And at 84, she wrote another book. She wrote a book of common stories of her favorite recipes and some more poetry and published that and sold much of that. And when she finally died at 90, she was writing a book of common prayers. Oh, my goodness. I hope I finish like her. I hope I finish like her. There was a moment when I was leading our fellowship that, that there was an issue in the culture that she wanted me to address, and she picked me up and she called me, and she said, Bill, are you doing anything about this problem? And I said, well, yeah, hi, Mom, how are you? <laughs> yeah, are you doing anything about this problem? Well, I am. I'm trying to do this. Well, I hope so. This needs to be addressed. And I said, Mom, you're 88 years old. Why do you care? And here's what she said. You just can't turn it off, Bill. And that should be the mark of every believer. You just can't turn it off. Here's what I believe, folks. I believe if I take you to Peter, and I won't take time to do that, I believe there are three conversions in the Word of God. Conversion is that moment when we come to Christ and it changes our life forever. So the first conversion is a personal conversion. This is where you come from death to life, sinner to saint, lost to salvation experience. What a joy and privilege it is to be a child of God. Folks, listen. This is the moment of life transformation. The Bible says that we were dead in trespasses and sins, and at the moment of conversion, that part which was dead comes alive in God for the very first time. It is an amazing, amazing moment. And at that moment, there should be created in us a hunger for God that you just can't turn it off. There should be a hunger for God that challenges our life and stirs our life and makes us, that's why you're here today, folks. You're here today because there's some part of you that hungers to know more about God and grow in God and be part of what God has in mind. That's how God works. It's a personal conversion. I'm so thankful for that personal conversion. And I hope it's impacted your life. I hope that you love His Word. I hope that you love to pray. I, I, hope, that you, I hope that you love to serve. And folks, it ought to change how we live. It ought to change how we work. It ought to change where we work just because we've been changed. It ought to change our families and how we interact with one another. We should be marked by love and touched by grace in their lives as we have been touched. We ought to forgive as we've been forgiven. It ought to change every part of our lives because that's what the gospel is intended to do. It changes our value systems, our priorities, our hopes, our dreams. I need to make an honest statement to you. You can have all of God you want. There's no limit to how big God is. Every one of us can have all of God we want. The problem is we already do. So God, help us. Help us to hunger for you more. Help us to desire more of who you are in us. Help us for a greater understanding of your kingdom. Help us for a greater awareness of your presence in our lives. Help us understand what it really means to be a child of God and let us live it out. Oh God, create a hunger in us.
that can never really be satisfied until we get to the place of completion at the end, knowing that in our entire life's journey, we'll never quite completely get there. But we can get deeper and richer and grow. See, that's why the Bible talks about when we first come into the kingdom, we're babies, and then we have to only have the milk of the word, and then we get to the meat of the word, and we get transformed in our whole lifetime. I'm not there yet. I've been at this for a long time, 68 years old. I've been doing this for 50 years. I'm still not there yet. Do you know what I love about the kingdom? I'm closer today than I was a week ago and a month ago and a year ago. It's one of the values of belonging to the kingdom. The other conversion, the second conversion, is is what I call the practical conversion. And it's the conversion to the people and places and things we call the church. Now, look around you for just a moment, would you? Again, one more time. See how different the people around you are? And yet they have so much in common. Another list, if you'll bear with me. As the church, we share the same loving Savior. We bear the same name. We're Christians. We're His. We share the same blessings. We share the same journey. We're on the same road. We have the same origin in God. We now carry a spiritual nature. We have the same nature. We share the same agreement with God. It's called a covenant. We have the same means of grace. We're called to the same fellowship. We have a partnership in our Father's estate. We are co-heirs of the same inheritance. We enjoy the same promises. We carry the same responsibility. We're called by the same name His. We are called to live together in love and unity, and we share the same destination. The church is a wonderful place to be. Everybody needs to be in the church. It's the body of Jesus. Folks, it's the place of encouragement and support and fellowship and nurture and prayer and worship. It's the place we can safely grow. It's the place we learn to manifest love to one another. It's the place where in the unity of grace we truly become one with others. It's a place where we cooperatively pray and worship and grow and rejoice it's a place where we learn to give and serve and sacrifice. We have actually a wonderful book available called I'm a Church Member. You saw it on the screen earlier. It's $5 available in the Resource Center. This will help you understand your role in the church. It's a great place to be. For I love the church. I love the church. I love the church. I love the church. There's some people that if they go away on a weekend, don't go to church. I have a really hard time with that. Not for you, but for me. I actually love the church. I just love to be together with God's people. Don't you really? Like, don't you just love to be together with God's people? What an amazing privilege. Now, there's two dangers here. There's two dangers. One of the dangers is that we can get so blessed and pleased to be here that we become people who absorb. But you see, when you're really in the church, it isn't just about getting. It's about getting and giving. What is really in the church is about serving and caring for one another. It's one of the dangers. When we're really in the church, folks, we ought to serve one another. Listen, I I really believe this. I really believe that if at every moment we call for volunteers, we ought to have so many of you line up that we don't know what to do with all of you because that's the church. That's how the church is intended to function. I love the story of Moses in the Old Testament. They were building the tabernacle, and they gathered resources from the people. And one of the workers finally came to Moses and said, Stop, you don't need to gather anymore. We have more than enough. 
I dreamed that for our church. I dreamed that for everything we need in this church, Sunday school teachers and ushers and workers and people who pray and on and on and on. And I don't want to label them in case we miss some. I just believe that everybody should just line up and say, here am I, would you use me? This isn't just about getting folks. This is about working in the kingdom. And part of the conversion is to the body of believers where we care for one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens. That's the church. The second danger is we become so comfortable in the church we forget that there's a world outside the church that God loves every bit as much as he loves us. Now, in a way, there's two calls here. I don't know what your individual gift is, but whatever it is, would you ask God to show you and help you find it? Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Others don't. Some of you have the gift of service. Others don't. So everybody has an individual gift, but here's the truth. Everybody has a gift. Everybody, you do. Well, I don't know what my gift is. I don't know what your gift is either. But you and God can figure that out pretty quickly. Just ask Him. But here's the problem. If you ask Him, He'll actually expect you to use it. Well, that's part of being in the church. That's part of being in the kingdom. And then all of us have some gifts that are required of all of us. Every single one of us are called to pray. We're all called to support the leaders of the church. We're all called to bear one another's burdens. We're all called to give support of the work of the ministry with our resources. We're all called to serve one another and to encourage one another in unity. All of us are called to do that. The third conversion is the conversion back to the world. This is loving your neighbor as yourself. This is giving cups of cold water in his name. This is, this is building relationships with people outside the kingdom who are loved by God as much as he loves us. Do you know how critical that is in our nation? About 10% of all people in Canada are Christians. It goes down dramatically in the province of Quebec. It's less than 1% here. I don't know what the real number is, but the last number I read was about 0.7%. Folks, that's not many people, 0.7%. At this moment, there are 8.2 million people in our provinces of 214. That means in the entire province, there's about 57,500 believers. Well, God, help us with the mission of the church. Help us to complete the work he's called us to do. There are 1.68 million people who live in the city of Montreal. My wife, uh, my wife likes nice things, but she doesn't like to spend big money, so that means we have to shop from time to time. How many of you ever, sh- any men here that shop with your wife? How many men enjoy it? Well, see, I don't really like shopping with my wife, but she wants, for some reason, I have no opinion in taste in clothes at all, but here's what I do know. I know what looks better on her or is good on her as anything else she owns, and I don't want her to buy anything that doesn't look as good as she already has. That's all I know. And so I go shopping with, I discovered you just can't wander her around because she's going to look at a thousand things to find one thing. So I discovered I should just, I found out the way. I sit, in, I sit in, a, in a bench somewhere, in a chair somewhere in a mall, and she comes back when she's done two or three or four hours later and shows me the two or three things she really wants me to see. It works really well. And I read and I sit and relax and I pray for people as they go by. I pray for the old man with a walker and I pray for the couple having a fight and I pray for teenagers that laugh and are so proud of who they are and I pray for kids who can't walk. You know, kids can't walk. You know that, right? They hop, bounce, run, jump, skip, crawl, but they can't walk more than four steps at a time. And I just pray for them all. Here's what I know. If I pray for people in Toronto, every tenth person I pray for is a believer. If 
I go to Fairview Mall in, on St. John Boulevard, I have to pray for 144 people before I find one believer. May God help us, folks. May God help us understand the work of the kingdom. God has called us with a job to do. Don't be offended by this, but hear the truth. Before you became a follower of Jesus, the gospel was entirely about you. But from the moment you came to faith in Jesus, the gospel is entirely about others. Before you became a believer, the gospel was entirely about you. From the moment you became a follower of Jesus, the gospel is entirely about others. It's interesting to me in verse 11, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by, the, by following their example, of, their example of disobedience. We're talking about, about the Israel here. Israel missed God's best. Israel missed God's best. But it's interesting to me that we have to labor to enter labor. Why is that? Well, because for most of us, what we really want is the peace and the ease. And God says, no, I want you to work. This is not about stopping. This is not about getting in the kingdom and just relaxing. This is about getting in the kingdom and resting in God. But in our rest, we actually work to strive to be better believers and to grow in faith. We actually work to care for one another as part of the family of God. And we actually work to touch our city and our province and our family members, the people we work with, with the wonder and the truth of who Jesus really is. There is a promise in all of this. There's a promise of eternal life in all of this somehow that comes with Jesus. Let me just conclude with, uh, with this wonderful truth, folks. When we do get to heaven, even there, what we're not going to do is sit back and just put our head back and do nothing. Even there, we're going to be busy in the kingdom. We're going to be busy doing the work of God because that's how it works. Charles Schultz, uh, my favorite, one of my favorite cartoonists, wrote Peanuts. How many have ever read Peanuts? Uh, my favorite cartoon from Charles Schultz is one of the little guys was talking to another one. He says, my grandfather loves, loves the church. He loves to sing the hymns. He said, oh, was he in the choir? He said, no, he's so old he can't remember the words. Well, I just love that. But here's what I love about Charles Schultz. Charles Schultz wrote Peanuts cartoons for 50 years. And he's got cancer. And so he actually died on February the 13th in 2000. In November, December, he discovered he had cancer. Uh, and so he actually had a whole bunch of cartoons written ahead of time. And when he got them all written... The last published cartoon, the brand new cartoon, the last one that was published in the paper, he actually died the day it was published. And I somehow that was meaningful for me. This is a whole life. He was a Christian, by the way. That was a whole life lived, and God brought him to completion. And one day he's going to do that for us as well. We just labor, and one day a moment of completion will actually come, and we'll enter into our eternal rest and be with God forever and forever and forever. But even then, we're not going to sit around playing harps or listening to music. We're going to be actively involved in the work of God, in the kingdom of heaven. We're going to love and worship and sing and pray. and do. I don't know what all we're going to do. I just know we're not going to sit around and do nothing. I just know that. Folks, listen. God's view of rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. That's your job. 
Now, as it happens, it's also my job because I'm one of you. I've given you a job description. Would you take out your job description? Would you take out your job description? My job description. I'm going to ask you to do two things, but first of all, we're going to read it together. Can we do that? Let's stand together. Let's read it together. Stand. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. Here we go. We're ready? Everybody ready? All right. I am called to begin, continue, and complete a spiritual journey to maturity in Christ. I am called to be a member of Christ's body, the church, necessitating fellowship, prayer, generosity, burden sharing, and mutual support. This calls for me to live in love, acceptance, forgiveness, and encouragement with every other child of God. I am called to be filled, empowered, equipped, and anointed by the Holy Spirit, evidenced by a walk in the Spirit, a life full marked, sorry, there's a little error there, like marked by the fruit of the Spirit, a belief fueled by the Spirit, and a supernatural awareness enabled by the Spirit. I am responsible for, and I'm committed to being a witness of Jesus Christ in both lifestyle and communication. I must seek to understand the world of those outside the church in an effort to reach them effectively with the gospel of Christ. That's your job. Can I ask you to do the second thing with this? Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take this home and post it somewhere where you can see it and read it. And two or three times a day, just pause for a moment, probably your fridge door or your, or your mirror in the bathroom. Just pause for a moment and read your job description and say, Oh God, help this to be true in my life. I pray. Father, I pray that you would take this job description, your word, your truth, let it be true in us, God. Let us be called to maturity in Christ. Let us be called to the body and let us be called to your world for we are your children and you have called us to complete what you've begun in us. Father, thank you for the mission and the vision and the opportunity and the privilege. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings on you all.